the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Joshua. God had proven his faithfulness and steadfast love to the nation of Israel time and time again. The Israelites had conquered the land, each tribe dwelling where they were assigned by God through the casting of lots. The Israelites were to continue in obedience in driving out the rest of the inhabitants of the land. Twenty years had passed, and the land was still not completely conquered. The people had been slow to drive out the remaining Canaanites from the land God had promised them. Joshua called the leaders together to remind them to love God above all else and put his word first. We join Pastor Will in Joshua chapter 24, verse 1. Remember, the whole theme of the book of Joshua has been victory in Jesus. And tonight we're going to get that last principle of how we live that out, you know, how we experience the victory that Christ won for us fully. It's been said that the best choice you can make is to repent of your sins and to place your trust in Jesus. And while I don't want to contest that, I do want to bring up that when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, it wasn't to repent and trust the Lord. It was to love the Lord with all that's in you. Placing my trust in Christ is the first step of that. But Jesus wants to save me from so much more than hell. He wants to redeem my entire life. And so as Joshua fulfills this last responsibility of his as Israel's leader, we're going to see that he calls Israel to to that same choice, to love God with everything in them. Because that's how we're going to enter into the fullness of all that God won for us. So chapter 24, verse 1. It says, And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. He called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. Remember in chapter 23, between that and 22, 20 years go by, Joshua is now an old man. He's dying, and he summons the leaders to challenge them and to warn them. They continue to compromise with dealing with the remaining pockets of Canaanites in the land that it will destroy them. And so he challenges them that. After he's done challenging them to lead into finishing the job that they set out to do, in chapter 24, he wants to speak to the entire congregation. He gathers all. Everyone must be present to hear this final message from their longtime leader. And they are gathered to Shechem. That was the place that Israel recommitted themselves to God when they first entered the land, when they defeated Jericho, defeated Ai. Before they did anything else, they made a beeline to Shechem, which lies between Mount Ebal on the north and Mount Gerizim on the south. And they went there and they had a day of recommittal to the Lord to renew the covenant with God. Joshua wrote the entire law on a bunch of rocks up there and it would be a memorial of their commitment to follow the Lord with everything in them. So it's fitting that 25 years later, he brings them back to this place of Shechem. And there was no way for Joshua Joshua to speak so every person could hear. This message would need to be relayed by every leader of any kind in the tribes. And so he calls for every kind of leader in each tribe to give them the message so that they will share it and relay it to the people. And Joshua said unto all the people, thus says the Lord God of 
Israel. So in other words, this is not just a message from Joshua. This is a direct word from the Lord. We saw in chapter 23 that Israel's future was heavy on Joseph's heart. He was concerned that they would not follow the Lord after he was gone, after he died. The other thing we know about Joshua is that we know he was a man who sought the Lord. If you go all the way back to Exodus, when Israel sinned with the golden calf, after that, Moses set up, after he dealt with that, Moses set up a tent for the congregation where anyone could go and seek the Lord. He said, you guys need to get right with God. I'm going to set up this tent, and anyone who wants to go and make things right with the Lord, you go in there and you seek the Lord, okay? People would come and go, but Exodus 33:11 points out that Joshua never left basking in the glory of God's presence. He just stayed there. So Joshua, he was a man of prayer. He was a man who sought God's face. There's no doubt if he was worried about this, their future after he was dead, that he would seek God about this. And so as he sought God about this concern, the Lord spoke to him with a clear answer. And I'd ask you, you know, tonight, before we even get into this history lesson that he gives them and then calls them to make a decision, do you pray like that? This challenged me because, I mean, he's got a real crisis on his hands. He's got a real worry in front of him. And so what did he do? Did he say, all right, I need to talk to everybody, and I need to do this, and I need to do that? No, he took it to the Lord and got a word from the Lord. He got an answer from the Lord about what to do. So I ask you, do you pray like that? Do you pray with the expectation that God wants to answer you, that he wants to lead you, and he wants to guide you? Or, like me, so often, do you try to solve things yourself? When God really challenged me this week, because with all the health things I've gone through over the last you know, five or six months, I've been to multiple doctors, and I read the articles on everything, and you know, I, I try out all these different little things to try to help, and it's not that I haven't prayed, but the Lord said, you haven't asked me for an answer. And I thought, well, that's not very smart. <laughs> I was deeply convicted. And I thought, Lord, I haven't. And I started praying this week. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What's the answer? How do you want me to approach this? What's the solution to this? Do we pray like that, looking to God for answers, or do we try to solve things ourselves? Or do we give up easily in in prayer for that when we don't have a clear answer from God? We go, well, I did that, and it didn't work. It's interesting, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, when Jesus is giving out the kingdom principles, what following him looks like, he said, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks, receives. He that seeks, finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. And sometimes we hear that, and we go, I did that, and didn't didn't work for me, and that didn't come true for me. But there's a little part that's difficult here that the English doesn't convey. The commands to ask, seek, and knock are all present participles, which means ask and keep on asking, knock and keep on knocking, seek and keep on seeking, and it shall be opened unto you. So this is something we need to persist in. If you have work concerns or health concerns or areas of your spiritual life you're trying to overcome, or maybe you've got loved ones that just seems like that nothing's breaking through, don't give up. Don't give up. You know, Spurgeon, he was a young person. I don't know if Spurgeon was ever young when you read about him. He, like he's 12 and he's talking about surrendering to Christ and how people need to repent and stuff. I mean, when you read about him, he had these five companions that didn't follow the Lord, five friends of his. And that was his whole goal. Here's a guy who preached to a congregation of 10,000 before there was sound systems. Incredible man of God used mightily. But his one goal was to see his five friends saved. And when he died, he said, I don't think my life was a success. He struggled with depression and other things. He always felt like a failure. But he said, I don't think my life was a success because only four of them got saved. Here's the cool part. The fifth one got saved at his memorial. You don't know. There's times when I've struggled as a pastor. I've struggled my impact of the world as a Christian. And I thought, Lord, what am I doing? I'm not having any impact. I'm the wrong guy, whatever. And, you know, I remember one time the Lord asked me, he said, Will, would you be okay if the impact that you had upon 
others, the people that maybe you don't see, or you're not moving and shaking or seeming to affect your city or your community or whatever, but would you be okay with the four or five people that you poured your lives into or your kids, if you poured your lives into them and they, they turned the world upside down, and, but you never got to see the fruit of it? And I was like, I- I'm okay with that. Then be quiet. You know, I felt the Lord just gently tell me, be quiet. You don't know what I have planned. Your job is to be faithful, not look for results. We need to pray with that expectancy and not give up, even when we don't have a clear answer from God. Because if you read through the rest of that, he goes, you know, if a a son would ask his father for a piece of bread, will he give him a, a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? No, of course not. God, he hears. And it's not that he's not answering or he's not listening, you know, and it's not even sometimes that the answer is no. It's just keep on asking. Be persistent. Don't give up. Now, what did Joshua hear from the Lord? What answer did he get? Well, the Lord gave him a a message that was to be reminding Israel of their history. And it's an interesting history. He says, thus says the Lord God of Israel, verse two, your fathers dwelt on the other side of, King James says the flood, it means the river. And the river, that phrase, the river, usually refers to the Euphrates. And of course, in this case, it does because it's talking about in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nacor. So he references Israel's prehistory and he says that it wasn't pretty. He says, they served other gods. They gave their energy and their devotion, their worship to idols. In other words, Israel's beginning wasn't spiritual or beautiful. It was wicked. And so Joshua reminds the nation that God didn't pick Israel. He didn't pick Abraham because his family was better than everyone else's. And therefore, God doesn't owe the nation of Israel anything. They are in great debt to him for rescuing them from this empty life. And do you realize that's true for you as well? God didn't save me because he thought, well, Will's being a good boy, you know, I owe him that. You know, he rescued me from an empty life. And despite the fact that this family wasn't loyal to God, he still pulled them out of this mess and gave them a new life. He says, I took your father Abraham. The word there took means to hold by the hand, to receive. When my kids mess up, okay, when they mess up and I discipline them, all right, there is definitely some firmness there when that happens. But the minute I realize that they understand the wrongness of what they've done and they come looking and reaching for me, all that is gone. The firmness, the hardness, all that's gone. The moment, no matter whether they're, they're two or whether they're 22, all right? The moment that's gone, all I want to do is wrap them up in my arms and be like, okay, how do I help them move forward? Once they understand what they've done and their heart's broken, they're like, ah, oh, I, I blew it and I need to change. Hey, we're done. I don't, all that firmness is gone. I just want to take them by the hand and go, now let me help you through this. Let's see how we can navigate moving forward with this. And that's what the Lord did. God gave Abraham a command to leave that old life of idolatry and follow him. And when Abraham decided to trust the Lord, the Lord took him in completely, received him with open arms. And it says he led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. God, who didn't know Abraham anything, drew him close and then guided him and then did miracles to ensure his family line would continue. Isaac was a miracle. And God continued those miracles with Isaac. Look at verse four. And I gave unto Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. It's very easy. I forget it all the time that Rebecca was barren. She couldn't have kids either. And there's a little section there which says that Isaac and Rebecca sought the Lord and prayed. And it says they prayed and prayed and prayed. And finally, God opened her womb and he blessed them with twins, Jacob and Esau. But not just twins, two men who had become the founders of nations. He says, I gave unto Esau Mount Seir, where the Edomites live, to possess it. But Jacob and his children, they had to wait to get their land because they went down to Egypt because of the famine that was in the land. That's crazy when you think about that of all the people in that area that God picked those two boys to make nations from. 
God didn't have to do that for them, but he did. Do you realize how gracious God is to do anything for you and me? Or do we forget the various miracles God's done in my life? I love the songs that talk about, where we, we sing about the, all the things that God's done. That Never Once is one of my favorite songs by Matt Redman. I remember because I was in the car when I first heard it. And I was going through a particular trial where I just wasn't seeing any breakthrough. And as I'm singing that song, I'm thinking about all the times where I was in this same spot, but God came through. And man, it was such a, a blessing for me to sing that because I thought, Lord, you have been faithful. There is absolutely no reason for me not to trust you right now, even though it looks like this one's going bad. We should never forget the miracles God's done in our lives. Now, things took a bad turn for Jacob's descendants in Egypt, but God still did wonders for them. He says in verse 5, I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt uh, according to that which I did among them, and afterward I brought you out. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came under the sea. The Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen under the Red Sea. And when they, Israel, cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the seed crashing down upon them. Doesn't say crashing, but that's what it means. Brought the seed crashing upon them and covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt, and you dwelt in the wilderness then for a long season. Israel had nothing to do with this rescue in Egypt other than asking God for mercy. It's not like they battled their way out of Egypt and fought their way out. No, God did all the work necessary to get them out of their bondage and to get them freedom from Egypt. And you know what's crazy? God did all of this despite the fact that Israel had embraced idols and other evil things when they were in Egypt for those 400 years. And then, even though they were in the wilderness for a long season, and they were there for a long season because of the rebellion against God, verse 8 he still did this for them. And I brought you unto the land of the Amorites. That's the Transjordan area where the two and a half tribes were now living. He said, I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side, Jordan, and they fought with you, but I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. God did all that despite 40 years of rebellion and unbelief in the wilderness. And then God defended them from an attack they didn't even know was there. Verse 9. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, he arose and he warred against Israel. How did he war against Israel? He sent and he called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen unto Balaam. Therefore, he blessed you still. So I delivered you out of his hand. Are you seeing a pattern here? God's grace and mercy is shown over and over and over and over to his people all throughout their history. They have every reason to trust and obey him, and the same is true for us. And finally, of course, God defeated all their concerns in Canaan. He says in verse 11, And you went over Jordan and came unto Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, Hivites, the Girgashites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. Joshua hadn't said that enough all throughout the book, so he figured he'd say it one more time. Figured it was his last saying of the ites. And I delivered them unto your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites. But not with the sword, nor with your bow. The hornet is a large species of wasp over there that's greatly dreaded. Thankfully, every time I've been over there, I've never seen them. Because apparently, they're really yucky. In other words, God brings up Israel didn't defeat their foes because they had better soldiers or they were better tacticians. It's because they had supernatural help. And that started with King Og and King Sihon, and it was true for every other victory afterward. Even their new homes weren't built by them. God did all the work. It was theirs simply to enter in by faith. Verse 13, And I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you live in them, of vineyards and oliveyards which you planted not. Do you eat? And it's present tense, you now eat. God, he did all the work. All they had to do is trust him. So in light of this, here's Joshua's challenge to the people. Now 
therefore. This is the reason for the lengthy history lesson. In light of all God's done, the fact that He's done it all up to this point, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve you the Lord. Here's the whole point of the whole history lesson, telling them how good God had been to them. He says, in light of that, fear the Lord. Love what God loves and hate what God hates instead of loving what other religions teach or loving what you crave or loving other ideas about truth or other ideas about what's right. He says, love what God loves and hate what God hates and serve him in sincerity and in truth. To serve the Lord, worship him in sincerity means without blemish or defect. In other words, completely, entirely with your whole heart and life. And do it, he says, in truth, which means faithfully, loyally, dependably. Now, how can they worship God completely being those who are faithful? How can they do that? How can they love what God loves, hate what he hates, and and serve him without any blemish, any spot in their service to God? He says, by making a full break with their past. He says, put away the idols which your father served on the other side of the flood in Egypt, everywhere across this time that God has just been good to you. I mean, it's so crazy. You look over the entire course of any part of those history lines and you will find idolatry. You had idolatry with Terah. You have idolatry with, was it Jacob's wife, Rachel? Remember, she was hiding the idols. She snatched her dad's idols when they left. Of all the things to take with you, I need to bring the family idols. We need to make sure the kids are blessed. We need to make sure this is going on. They had all these things. She had the idols. Later on, we see in Egypt, they get involved in idolatry. In the wilderness, they worship the golden calf. They've got other idols going on there. And then with the whole situation with Balaam, even though God protects them, they go into idolatry with the Moabites. Time and time and time again, there's always been this remnant of idolatry in Israel. You know, there's one thing you will not find in Israel today and you have not found it in Israel for about 2,000 years, 2,600 years to be exact idols. You will not find idols because after Babylon, it was the time when Israel finally learned their lesson with idols. They didn't learn it till then. Spoilers. Don't learn it here. But it was always a constant problem, even if it was just a minority that were doing it. It was a constant problem. And so they need to make a clean break with that past. We can, again, like I said, look at their prehistory of idolatry, but the truth is idolatry is a theme throughout their entire history. And there were compromises even now after God's goodness in bringing them into the land. If Israel is going to experience God's blessings after Joshua's gone, they need to make a complete break with those compromises. You know, it's interesting. Some of us are kept in the faith because of our surroundings. It might be a spouse, might be our kids, might be our good circumstances. But we're not drawing near to God with our hearts on a regular basis. And that puts us at risk when a challenging situation comes into our life. What happens when that spouse dies? What happens when the kids are gone? What happens when the good times aren't there? I have watched people who serve God their entire life and all of a sudden, boom, something happened. That spouse died or the the child walked away from the Lord or the children just weren't there anymore or their lives just took a turn that was an awful, horrible turn and I have watched them walk away from God. How is that possible? Because at some point in time, like Israel here, they're not in a bad place. They were surrounded by good things. They were doing all sorts of good things. But at some point in time, They stop drawing near to God. I know it's great that we have others to keep us close to the Lord. We need that. But Jesus wants a personal relationship 
with each and every one of us. He wants that relationship to be the most important thing to us. And can I honestly say that's the case with me? Can you honestly say that's the case with you? If so, awesome. Praise the Lord. I'm not challenging that. But if not, if you can't honestly say that's the case with you, then it's time to part with the other gods you've allowed to remain in your life. And and this is why where we see the weakness of the law, why it can't save us. It can tell us what to do and it can enforce consequences when we don't. But it can't make us follow it from our hearts. That's a choice only we can make and those are actions that we can only perform by the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us as we yield to him. My kids, you know, I tell them, I say, listen, I feel like Captain America sometimes. I tell them, I can do this all day. I can ground you all day. I am never budging on where the consequences are. I mean, and my kids know it. They just know. You know, they know if dad says it, that's just how it's going to be. I can do this all day. I don't go to bed at night and lose sleep because you can't play the Nintendo, all right? And I don't care how long, how long it lasts. That's not what this is about, all right? It's not, I'm not getting back at you because you angered me. I'm concerned because I want to see a change of heart. I'm giving you this time off from doing things you want to do to be reminded when you want to do that thing, oh yeah, I can't because I didn't care about what was in my heart and I decided to do things I I knew I wasn't supposed to do. So my concern for you is I'm, I'm disciplining you now because someday dad will not always be there. Someday you're gonna have to make your own choices. And I don't want you to be a, a person who grows up and decides, I don't care when you get older. So that's why I'm hard on you. That's why I don't budge. I know that I can't change their heart. All I can do is try to shepherd it along to the Lord. That's all I can do. And my hope is as I'm shepherding them to the Lord with these problems, revealing, shining lights on the yuckiness in their heart, that eventually they will take that yucky heart and bring it to the Lord and go, Lord, my heart's yucky and I don't want it to be yucky anymore. I want you to clean it out. I want you to come and live inside. I want you to be in charge. Because then, I know real change will come. I then, I know I won't have to do anything because I can just be the cheerleader then. Because they'll follow the Lord. So Joshua calls them to make a choice. Verse 15. He says, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, if it is displeasing to you, to, to, the word evil means to upset you or displease you, to find something to be unacceptable. If that's not acceptable, to serve him alone faithfully with all your heart. If that's not acceptable to you, then choose you this day whom you will serve. Select who your preference will be. Make a decision between the options. Whether the gods whom your father served, that were the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. If you're not going to serve the Lord, then Pick one of these other deities to follow. Pick one of these other pantheons to follow. But make a choice. Don't kid yourself into thinking you're serving the Lord and you've got these idols remaining. See, here's the reality. Israel can very easily erase the result of 500 years of God's goodness and return to how things were for their ancestors. Very easily. All they must do is decide to live life without the Lord again, just like their forefathers did. That's all they have to do. Live life without the Lord. And you know, much of Israel's history chronicles their decision to do just that. They decide to live life without the Lord, and then it all comes crashing down. And we'll see it in Judges. We'll go through these cycles where they repent, and then they come back, and then they decide, oh, we got this, and they live without the Lord again, and it comes crashing down. But, but here's the danger. Each time it comes crashing down, they pull a little bit farther and farther away from the Lord until the time comes about When Samuel, before he becomes the first real good judge they've had in a while, 
Israel is so lost. They don't, they don't even understand their own worship. Israel's so lost. They aren't keeping the Sabbath. They aren't worshiping at the tabernacle. They haven't kept a Passover in like 200 years. That's how far off they'd gotten by that time. When Jesus came, Israel was in the same spot. May not have been idols. They'd already learned that lesson. But they were still doing life on their own terms without the Lord. And if Israel can struggle with this over time, it means we face the same challenge. That even though we have God's spirit inside of us, we still face the challenge of we can every day choose to say, I'm going to live this life this day without the Lord. We all have a choice to make. God desires to bless us with the fullness of who he is. He has proven his steadfast, loyal, unwavering love to us. But we must choose to humble ourselves and come to him on his terms. We will never save ourselves. No amount of good works or right deeds will atone for our judgment. We can't save ourselves, and we don't have to. In God's great love, he took on the penalty for our sin. And now, if we would just come to him, turn away from the sin that takes us away from God, and throw ourselves on his mercy and grace, we will be saved. There is blessing in trusting God. There is victory in obeying his word. There is love in having a relationship with him. All we could ever hope to find in life is found in God. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.